This temple crew has a plan And they begin by digging into those Two scoops In every Kellogg's pack Two scoops or Keep them coming back For two, two scoops of plump juicy raisins In Kellogg's Raisin Bran Hooked up and in command They're working now But they're thinking how they lost Two scoops And Golden Blake's a brand Two scoops They're turning back again For two scoops of plump juicy raisins In Kellogg's Raisin Bran Yes, once again, it's those irresistible two scoops in the box that breaks the extra bone in your brain each and every time. Welcome to episode four, where we're all going to float down here and teach you a little something about salesmanship with two scoops. My name is Jordan Breen. I'm joined, as always, by my very own Dr. Frankenfurter, sweetest pair of lips I've ever seen on a poster or a box. It's David Bixenspan. Bix, the latest Patreon. We got to cleanse our souls of sin, learn about the wicked, satanic underpinnings of this impending holiday they call Halloween. Now that we're redeemed, it's time to celebrate Halloween with one of my favorite weird and spooky fellows, a man who, and to me, embodies the ethos of Halloween, Mr. Tim Curry. Bix, where does Tim Curry stack up for you? How do you rate Tim Curry? What's that movie where he was a butler? <laughs> oh, oh, God. Um, I was thinking of, I was thinking of um, Home Alone 2, where he's the, the evil bellhop. Oh, he's the butler in Clue, isn't he? Yeah. Oh yes, he's in Clue, but I might have been—I might have been thinking of Home Alone actually, as a, and not Clue. But no, but he's the but, but okay, but he's the butler in Clue, I believe, right? Yes, yes. But yeah, in the in the he's like the in 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 Home Alone two, he's like the concierge who's out to foil Kevin McAllister's plans for fun. Yes, and this is one of the charms of Tim Curry. Tim Curry, an enormous part of his legacy, is doing child's things. He's in a ton of kids' movies. He's done a ton. He's like a vo- voice in the Wild Thornberries for a decade. Like he just has done uh, most of this dude's money in the last fifteen years is legit doing children's cartoons or playing a rapist slash murderer. Yes. So <laughs> this is part of why I love Tim Curry. The range and the style. Like I mentioned that like he he epitomizes Halloween to me, and that's because. A lot of Tim Curry's – like you see like the lighthearted – like a dude that likes to have fun doing cartoon voices. But ultimately, he's just an incredibly strange guy that will sing, dance, turn into a shape-shifting, demonic, thousands-of-year-old uh, uh, force that manifests as a clown and kills children or as a mess-smoking serial killer lunatic on a crime procedural or maybe dress up as all three members of a hillbilly squad and really get some nasty fun in on an unscrupulous Ed Begley Jr., as we'll detail. I, I love Tim Curry. And, you know, I, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I think, I think uh, for, for me at least, amongst the canon we have uh, in this episode of Two Scoops, I think I've contained, like, my favorite Tim Curry performances. But this is a guy that, like... It, for most people, it's going to be Frank and Furter and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Bix, did you happen to catch Fox's or any of the commercials or hoopla around Fox's Rocky Horror Picture Show redux they did with Laverne Cox and uh, your boy Adam Lambert? I kind of decided to deliberately shield myself from it. It was a good decision. I, I went and watched it, and I'm not going to act like I'm – one a big Rocky Horror Picture Show fan. I think it's all right. You know, I 
I know the time warp dance, but I don't want to do it sort of thing. But I get the appeal. It's fun. And it's got a certain sort of aesthetic. And I'm not going to act like I'm drag king of the world and like I know everything there is to know about camp and signaling. But watching a Rocky Horror Picture Show Redux like Fox put on, even if they got Tim Curry into it as the narrator now that he's wheelchair bound due to a stroke, which is another reason that I wanted to get this. I don't want to have to don't want to have to do it when he's dead and shed a tear. Um, no, watching watching what Fox did is just it just seemed like really tone deaf and like people the, the, the makers of it didn't really seem to get what makes Rocky Horror Picture Show fun in the first place. How can you not get that, though? I don't know. It it seemed like a weird simulacrum. Like, you know what I would compare it to in in a very, like, oblique and strange way is, like, when you see a weird show like Toddlers and Tierras, never mind how, like, creepy and exploitive and nasty the parents are. What's always creepy and unsettling for me is seeing these young children go through these acts. Be them sexual or not, they're pantomiming things that they can't possibly understand. You know, never mind whatever you think of the sexual overtones of like a six year old strutting around in Madonna's conical bra pretending to be Madonna. Like a six year old doesn't know Madonna. She can't appreciate like she knows nothing about Madonna. But yet, like she's going through these very choreographed motions that we all understand. That's what I felt like watching this. I felt like a bunch of people had watched Rocky Horror Picture Show and knew how to do the time warp dance, but didn't kind of get what made it fun or exciting or transgressive when it came out. So in 20, 30 years, are we going to say, see the same thing with the room? Oh boy. Oh boy. That's uh that's a darn good question. I would love, I, I mean, I don't know if I should say I would love because maybe it would actually be soul crushing in some way. I wonder what it would be like if someone did something like that and remade a movie like the room. The room it's like a fast musical. <laughs> it's a fascinating question to me. So, Bix, we got a lot of beautiful, beautiful Tim Curry to get to here. So let us first clean the house, as a butler might include. Is that my cue? You want it to be your cue? It's your cue now, Poppy. Oh, boy. All right, where should I start? Patreon. Patreon.com slash two scoops. That's patreon.com slash TWO scoops. It's also linked on two scoops pod.com. So if you just want to go there, that might be the easier way to do it. Each week, we've got Patreon exclusive shows for you. If you donate $5 or more a month, if for whatever reason you don't want that exclusive content, but you still want to be into everything, dollar or more a month gets you a thank you on this show as well as access to the patrons only chat room on slack and this week's patreon only show you alluded to it earlier uh how should we describe this um the evangelical crusade against halloween we find out a lot about the nature of ritual baby sacrifice every single halloween from a fine set of videos called "Invading uh, in Pagan Invasion, Trick or Treat, in this case, a 13-cassette video series that came out in the late 90s, aimed to spread the evangelical end-of-days type gospel. We check in with a legendary advice columnist, Ann Landers, and revisit her history of hysteria brewing, 
talking about fourth grade classes that want to kill people to celebrate Halloween and poisoning children's candy. Poisoning children's candy every year, and Ann Landers' favorite. Maybe the king of it all when it comes to evangelical satanic insanity. Pat Robertson revisiting some of his greatest Halloween essays as well as him telling you that you should exercise your garments if you get them from a secondhand store just in case. Doesn't hurt to be prudent. And uh, then, Bix, we uh, we lightened it up a little bit. You brought us the... You, well, I loved it. The his his reality Jesus puppets. Yes, from local public access here on Long Island. You uh, you were quite excited. I was thinking like how how entertaining could this be? You uh, actually appeared to be mortified at these things that you're actually familiar with. I uh, other than the the one doll named Stephanie, who who is <laughs> the bo- picture on the Patreon yes uh, <laughs> post as well as the tweet. Uh, I think I put it on the tweet, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. So other than Stephanie, uh, who was actually quite chilling, I found them quite enjoyable. I I love these adorable little creatures. What about the racist one? Uh, Yeah, the racist Italian one who wanted to punch the other Muppet was not— I thought he was supposed to be Hispanic. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, he was was supposed to be Hispanic. My bad. Uh, But he still wanted uh, to—he still had a horrible accent, and he still wanted to, to punch another female puppet in the face, and it was quite upsetting. But they sang about Jesus, and he found forgiveness. It was all good. $5 a month can get you all that excitement and more. What was your favorite song? Did you like the I'm Just a Stone song? Oh, <laughs> the you mean the I'm Just a Stone song that you turned off within five seconds because you were, like, creeped out or upset by it? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it until you turned it off. I just get bad vibes from it, though. It's like watching uh, Jeff on today's special. <laughs> I was I was thoroughly – I wasn't sure whether or not, as I expressed out loud, I wasn't sure whether or not it was a large blueberry or a rock at first. But when he started singing that he was a stone – I was all about it, and I got six seconds into his musical autobiography, and you cut me off. Could have been, could have been the modern Hamilton, Bix. There was also the militaristic puppet, <laughs> who turned into a black preacher at the end. <laughs> Is there anything else we need to promote? I think that's it for that. Uh, how much? Actually, how much did we mention the previous Patreon show? I mean, we did a little bit, yeah, with the Barney Miller and yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the next one, which we have not recorded yet, is going to be further Halloween adventures as uh, we do a deep dive into one of the greatest horror films of all time, the original Sleepaway Camp. And for my own edification, I may have to watch the Pamela Springsteen ones as well. I've avoided them. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I guess because it's a separate continuity, because I guess that's important. Mm. Uh, I don't see us talking about those that much. I mean, there's a lot to talk about with the original. I want them. I I just want them for for knowledge sake to see where it went. Having seen, I, I've seen parts of number two on cable over the years, but I really I, I want to see where they took. Like you said, I think uh, a genre defining slasher film. Slasher films are defined by how interesting is your big bad antagonist and how good their kills are. And if those are the standards, holy shit, Angela, what a hero. Great closing theme song, too, in the first um, Speaking of the last thing we'll say, just, just to tease, because um, it's a thing I think about. Obviously, the final shot of Sleepaway Camp is quite something. No spoilers. But, 
But more, more than the final shot and more than the twist, what always sticks with me is the actual sound the that goes with making. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is possibly, I think, the most disturbing sound I've heard. And you're and you're talking to someone. I've seen all the guinea pig films, and I didn't even call the FBI like Charlie Sheen. And I'm. I got I got an appetite for some some gross and weird stuff. That's part of why we're here doing two scoops. That sound haunts me to this day, and I'm quite excited to uh, go back and watch it and and hear it again and be traumatized. Speaking of being traumatized, Bix, now that we've cleaned the house, suppose it's time to take it to the sewers of Derry, Maine. Visit with everyone's favorite supernatural child killing clown. It's your boy Bob Gray, aka Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Actually, we forgot some housekeeping. Oh, did we? Amazon. Oh, tell us how it like. Maybe you're looking. Maybe you're looking to buy a copy of it on DVD in book form. Who's to say? Maybe you want to get the Sleepaway Camp box set. Is that really a thing? Yes, of course it is. Oh, delightful. Maybe you do want to do that. Maybe you want to buy a Criminal Minds season set. After (laughs) after this show, you very well might. Maybe you want to get, uh, what else? Is there a Tales from the Crypt box set or no? Oh, you got all seven seasons out on DVD. Okay, I wasn't sure if there were any weird rights issues or anything. So we got, you want to get some Tales from the Crypt on DVD. Maybe you want to get some music. Uh, something spooky. Yeah, something. what's something? Halloween's approaching. Halloween. Halloween. Uh, Monster Mash. <laughs> it's like the go-to. It's the worst. Maybe, maybe I don't know, you want to you wanna buy like a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds record. Okay, there we go. Maybe you're a fan of Scr- the Scream series. Maybe that's how. Maybe that was your entree into Nick Cave, like it was for me. <laughs> and you really loved the song "Red Right Hand." Red Right Hand, which also I believe is in Dumb and Dumber of all things. Uh, Red Right Hand, as far as as far as songs obliquely about the devil, uh, prob- probably my favorite. What's your second favorite? Ooh. <laughs> Good question. It's a good question. I want to. I don't want to take something like corny, like sympathy for the devil, or something like that, because I feel like there's probably something better out there. But uh, I don't know. There's really nothing really stacks up to Red Right Hand for me. It's just the spookiest. Maybe you want that early ministry wherever day's Halloween. Sure. Maybe listen to some Bauhaus. Get the Bauhaus box two box set, the two CD set, whatever it's called. Uh, what is it? Bauhaus nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty three, or whatever it is. Double your money, get some love and rockets too. Triple your money, get some tones on tail as well. Ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. How can they do that, Bix? How can they give us the money? It's all the same thing. No new tale to tell. <laughs> so that's tinyurl.com slash two scoops Amazon. Spelled either way, tinyurl.com slash two scoops Amazon. You don't pay anything extra. Just go to the referral link. Add whatever you want to your cart, and then you're good. And uh, before we move on, uh, actually, wait. I guess we still want to cover it first, but in the spirit of Halloween, hey, Jordan. Yes. Here's something really scary. Always. I loved it. It's got me. It's you got me pumped. 
More, more than anything. I mean, it's still... <laughs> By the way, I like that you were able to isolate it that quickly. <laughs> the, the ending itself is on YouTube. Oh, well, yeah, I, I suppose... it is. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like, of course. Why, why, why wouldn't like the sickest twist ending? Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? All right, Vix. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna blow up some balloons full of blood and go kill some kids? I guess so. Let's take off to Derry, Maine. Hi, oh, silver away. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you gonna say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. My dad said so. Very wise of your dad, Georgie. Very wise indeed. I, Georgie, am Pennywise, the dancing clown. You are Georgie. So now we know each other. <laughs> Can you rest? I guess so. Go! Go! Without this? It's my ghost! Exactly! Go on, kiddo. Take it. Oh, you want it, don't you, Georgie? Oh, of course you do. And there's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. And balloons, too. All colors. Do they float? Oh, yes. They float, Georgie. They float. And when you're down here with me, you float down! If we're going to talk about Tim Curry in any sort of context, let alone a Halloween context, goes without saying that top of the bill... We're going to end up getting to the two-part miniseries that aired in, I believe, uh, 1990, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, The adaptation of Stephen King's It, in which, for my money, I I think we get a redefinition of what it means to be scared of clowns. As far as I know, yes, John Wayne Gacy was years prior and the like. But we, we're in a world now, Bix, where literally Stephen King had to come out because of this weird world we live in where people on both sides of the Atlantic had ta- have taken to dressing up like clowns and harassing people in the darkness and menacing them and just trying to be weird, spooky people. This has become so pervasive that Stephen King feels some ownership over this problem and has to tell people in a public statement to chill out. I mean, could Tim Curry own this role in this film, which is not really that good, any harder? I have never actually seen the whole thing. How dare you? I told you this before we started. I know, but I'm saying, but I'm still saying, how dare you? It doesn't change. For that, how dare you? I'm going to tell the world that you said awesome possum when we started recording to connect. I always, we were I always, I always say awesome possum. You can, you can isolate it and you can put it on the soundboard. Say it right now in the awesome same tone possum. of voice. No, in the same Aw- tone of voice. Awesome possum. A uh, little more genesis quoi. <laughs> That's all you get for now. 
I make no apologies. You should, on the on the other hand. This is Bix before before this, like I want to say there was like an NPR uh radio show recently that like discussed clown phobia and the like. And so many people come back to this film specifically, which again was like a two-part television movie. Yes. I mean, it's just like, like this, like I'm trying to think of like, like, there's not really that many characters that people who've like never seen the movie and stuff like that can instantly just like identify so readily. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, I don't feel like the kinds of people like, I feel like there's an enormous amount of people that aren't just even scared of clowns in the broad sense, but very much are scared of Tim Curry's depiction of Pennywise the clown despite never having seen it. I feel like there's something else on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it. I've Googled so exhaustively over the last week, just trying to find people talking about, you know, and again, it's anecdotal, but the sheer quantity of people who seem to derive their, uh, from this particular depiction of a clown is profound to me. Hmm. Trying to think, what other spooky clowns? There's the bed on The Simpsons. <laughs> See, that's the thing, man. Like, the only other real depiction is the real-life kind of, like, Pogo of the Clown. There's creepy clowns, of course. When you look at, you know, especially the turn of the century, but just the way clown makeup looks and things like that, there's a... I don't know, kind of a, a mopey unsophistication to it where everyone just kind of looks like a sad painted hobo that's kind of unsettling. I mean, clowns clowns have been creepy. But the idea of inherently being afraid of them for whatever reason, I feel like, at least in a greater pop culture consciousness, this is this is the defining image. It is Tim Curry as Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Is the your example. Yeah, he is he is the paragon in this particular case. And for that reason, I'm incredibly nervous with the ongoing process of the it film, which is actually being filmed here in Toronto and Oshawa as well, I believe. But Carrie Fukunaga was originally attached to it, obviously known for probably above all else, I guess the first season of true detective uh, and helped write the script and actually you forgot also known for being made fun of very obviously in the second season of true detective <laughs> that's that is also true but well i mean i said known most for in fairness but yes uh now a uh, track to uh, andreas muschetti who's not only helped Pischetti? write script. what Pischetti? yes what did, someone say something about Pischetti? <laughs> Pischetti. Uh, known for writing both like the shorter version and the the full Hollywood version of of Mama, and he was involved with actually writing the script with Fukunaga anyway. But New Line Cinema has cut the script multiple times. We've had uh, Will Poulter was originally attached to play Pennywise. Now uh, the role's been passed to Bill Skarsgård, who they had principal makeup come out recently. And I mean, the the new Pennywise, it looks about like what I would expect in a film like this. But Bix, I, I don't I don't have high hopes. Uh, 
have you are you how familiar with the novel are you not very why why were you not why were you not a spookier child when i was when i was seven or eight years old and i went in the basement um and i saw there was a there was a bookshelf where my mom just put a bunch of her old books the minute i saw the I think it would have been like Penguin or Signet. The whatever edition of it it was. By the way, trivia: best-selling book in America in 1986. Stephen King's it. Uh, when I first saw the book cover of it with the green lizard-like hand coming out of the sewer grate and grabbing on to the paper boat of one Georgie Denbro. Before he was taught how to float and got his arm ripped off by Pennywise the Dancing Clown, I thought, this thing is physically the largest book I have ever picked up. One day I'm going to read this. And after cutting my teeth on Stephen King short stories, I got there. 1,100 pages. I can't believe you've never read the whole thing, Vix. How dare you? I'm going to say something, and I'm trying to figure out if somehow people were interpreted as me being some kind of dullard. (laughs) I'm fascinated to hear what you're going to say now. In, like, my teen years into adulthood, I kind of gave up on reading fiction. Oh no, I don't think no. Like that, actually, I actually think that's that's a legitimate point of view that that all that, that I can back up. Okay, I I feel I feel where you're coming from with some people be like, oh, where is your imagination, Dave Bix and Span? But no, I think that's a that's a legitimate thing. I think there's still always like a like a value in 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 particular fiction, but uh, no, I don't. That's 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 definitely. I know I know too many people who don't read fiction who I find interesting and compelling and know about the world to. To ever judge someone who was like, oh, I gave up on reading fiction for a while. I'll never judge on that front. The the last time I actually read a book was when I read something that we talked about privately the other night, which is uh, The Fixer by, uh, what's his face, Bernard Malmud, I yes. believe, mm-hmm. which has a section in its various tales of Jewish blood libel and all that about how Yakov, the main character... Um, it becomes an issue whether or not he menstruates, as Jewish men are known to do. I was I was so thoroughly unaware of this. Like you gave me such a history lesson on one of the most insane and bizarrely racist things that I was I was completely historically unaware of. The idea of the the Jewish penile tampon. Well, right. That in the book it said that there was also a special, like, I think metal tampon-like device that was specially designed to fit Jewish penises. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, there's a there's a movie of The Fixer as well, which I've never seen. Well, sounds like something we're going to have to watch someday. Do you think they have about the Jewish menstruation? And the Jewish <laughs> male menstruation in there? Well, okay, that's actually a provocative thing that I want to bring up with it, too, because I'm always interested when some sort of source material is adapted that maybe has one part which is non-essential but pretty provocative. And for anyone who's ever read it, you know exactly what I'm about to say. Uh, so for, for those unaware, uh, it it is the story of Once Upon a Time – 
thousands of years ago, an asteroid came down. And no, I'm not shitting. Uh, an asteroid came down, and it 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 buried a deep demonic malevolent force in our ground. Very in Stephen King fashion, very Lovecraftian. So this thing lies dormant until the early 18th century, where it emerges from the grounds of Derry, Maine. And every 28 to 30 years, this demonic spirit takes the form of a middle-aged man named Bob Gray, who also masquerades as Pennywise, the dancing clown. It is not a middle-aged man or a dancing clown, but it is in fact a supernatural creature from a dimension we can't even imagine called the deadlights. Although the truest form that a human identifies it as is a giant female spider type creature, the actual true form of it is a series of bending, whirring orange lights that either kill you or drive you positively insane. It rises every 30 years. It takes the form of whatever you fear most, and it kills you. More specifically, it kills children. It kills children because children are easier to scare. As the monster says itself, I believe it's described in the book as it's easier to marinate the meat. Children are easier to scare. They die in more horror and trauma. They're all the better as victims. A group in Derry, Maine, a group called the Losers Club, they're tormented by it as children in 1957 and I'm going to be honest. Yes. Up to that point, everything you said to me so far sounded like it could be part of like a weird anti-Semitic like protocols of the elders of Zion type of thing or a movie <laughs> about like weird blood libels and stuff like that. It's like, dude, I, it's I true. Some and symmetry with the fixer. And you know what? It, it honestly, it, it it doesn't surprise because when I mentioned the asteroid thing right off the top, I mean, there's no getting around it. Like, I don't. In no way do I think Stephen King is like an anti-Semite or like his writing reflects that. But he is still a massive H.P. Lovecraft fan who was, oh boy, very much an anti-Semite. So I think there are there are some kind of entrenched like horror devices and science fiction devices and, and like devices of this kind of writing that that kind of like share that sort of symmetry i think you're completely on point so it torments a group called the losers club in 1957 and 58 and eventually they overcome it but as adults they are they are forced to come back and confront it once again when they realize that the true nature of it is that it rises every 28 to 30 years so in the book (laughs) Stephen King has talked about this in the past and kind of eh, kind of tacitly admitting he would have written it differently. There is in the, in the Losers Club there's one female Beverly Marsh and when they defeat it as children in in 1958 she basically decides at 11 years old that the best way for them to consecrate this bond and remember this moment and keep their promise to keep Derry Maine safe is for all six of her male friends to de-virginize her one after the other. That's it, I'm out. <laughs> also, I mean, this is this is arguably not even the most upsetting um, 
first sexual experience ever described in a Stephen King book. I haven't like read like the last million Stephen King books like over like the last 15 years, but I do know I have read app pupil and I am fully aware of speaking of anti anti Semitism when uh in the in the book uh the protagonist who becomes obsessed with uh, a a dude in the neighborhood who he realizes is a former SS commander and just becomes taken with with Nazism uh has his has his first wet dream while imagining helping his elderly neighbor electrocute a woman in a concentration camp you still in or what baby so how about that criminal mind <laughs> so where are you real quick bix as a child what how would have it how how would it have gotten you what was what was your thing what was your what was your greatest terror when you were say Eleven years old. Oh, eleven? I thought you were going to go younger. Well, I mean, if if it progressed. Um. Awkward moments of confusion and jealousy on sitcoms. <laughs> like it's, that was like it's it's dude. That is like the most. That's that's the most kind of like that that resounds with me so hard. Because I can't like that, like literally, I would have never said that in a million years. Like that never would have come to mind. And yet, if I think of it in all sincerity, that's what might have crippled me most at eleven years old, too, dude. I literally would watch things, and when it got to that moment of, I always call it embarrassing, embarrassed sympathy. I would like cringe and change the channel. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> That's like I know I know other people understand. Like obviously people are listening to this and understand exactly what we're talking about. But to to know what we're that calling us pussies. <laughs> it's not about it's not about being a, like to me to me that's not about it's 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 not about sort of anything to do with masculinity or your T level. It's just there's some kinds of accidents that even even if you know that you're watching uh, a pantomime of these things and then being played out for your entertainment, some things are just so legitimately cringe cringeworthy that you want to look away. If you're in person, you see a cringeworthy moment. No one leans in, opens their eyes. Wait, is that trying to make Kelly jealous with Screech's <laughs> cousin? Oh no. I, I think Save by this one. I think Save by the Bell is is too corny to make me cringe. But you know what show makes me cringe a lot in like when I think about it in hindsight, I don't know why. I don't know if it would today. Uh, Home Improvement. Hmm. Well, it's like a defining a reasons for it to make you cringe. I don't know if it's yeah, like about. like when I think when I think about Home Improvement, I think like multiple times an episode, either the nature of the situation or the dialogue would be cringy enough that I would have to turn away for several seconds at a time. That sounds right for my recollection too. And also the Patricia Richardson character, like, I don't know if it's the writing or her performance. I mean, I think a lot of it's her performance. When she gets angry at Tim Allen's character. Yes. There is so much more like unbridled rage in her voice than your average sitcom couple argument. 
that it's uncomfortable to watch. Which I think, dude, I actually think that's an asset because in fairness, you you know what else kind of does that to me, but like does it in a way where I I don't know. I don't know what the um, I don't know what the divider is, but one show that does it to me in a positive way is episodes of Roseanne. Where John Goodman as Dan Connor just snaps and starts screaming at Roseanne in his shop or whatever. Sure, but that's how it's written. Whereas, I'm no, not sure but, but at how... the same time, like I, I think John Goodman, like you know, and and I think it's just a testament to him as a as a great actor. As we found out over the years, he's much more than like just a TV dad in flannel. But he he taps into a, a kind of rage where you're just like, yeah, man. Married life's fucked. Sure, but I think that's how Roseanne is supposed to be. Whereas on Home Improvement, I don't so what you think, think she's I'm playing something out against Tim Allen? I don't know, but I don't feel like that show is supposed to be one where the lead couple feels like they're constantly on the verge of divorce. That's a that's an interesting thought that like. Patricia Richardson just put her own spin on it to like where where the Taylors are just constantly on the brink. Wouldn't you be though? Is there a shittier TV dad to have? He like burns his face off in every episode. <laughs> like su- super glues like a, a fucking bathtub to his nutsack or whatever. Tim Taylor sucks. He thinks all of his sons are pussies because they're not into walls yeah. and building. And- yeah. <laughs> oh man and, and like isn't and, it like one of them's like even like into sports and he's like oh no i was gonna say i was gonna say the <laughs> oldest one the oldest one played by zachary ty Bryan, i think brad he's actually good at sports and tim still harangues him for not being better at sports like his entire life tim tim taylor sucks i'd rather i'd rather have tim curry be my tv dad Who's as, the one who has the weird, as Pennywise uh, the dancing clown? Who's the one who has the weird May December romance? Is that the youngest son? I, I I don't know. I know the youngest son. They turn him into like a goth type character, like a mall goth. Yeah, at the end they did. Yeah, and Jonathan Taylor Thomas gets cancer, but like doesn't or something. We might we might need to deep dive on Home Improvement at some point. Yeah, doesn't he get like thyroid cancer or something I, at the end of the series? Uh, I don't know. Give me, give me, give me your best Tim the Toolman, Bix, and then we can talk about Criminal Minds. Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> <laughs> All right, promise, promise fulfilled. I'm a man of my words. We take it from the sewers of Derry, Maine, all the way over to the fine city of Los Angeles, where the Prince of Darkness is looming. The Prince over of Darkness. On Darkness. The Prince of Darkness is looming over on primetime network television. Smoking methamphetamine, rolling around inveterately in his RV, and killing people during the rolling blackouts of Los Angeles. Oh boy, it's Criminal Minds. Look, I told you guys I was just holding it for somebody else. What do you think, we're a bunch of idiots? You want us to believe that you're all of a sudden in the marijuana storage business? (laughs) Is this your dope or not? The truth. All right, all right, it's mine. I came to pick it up after the basketball game and I was going to take it to a party. Well, now you're a supplier. No, Dad, a lot of kids bring stuff. What is it, a potluck? (laughs) Is this the only drug you're doing? 
Yes. How much are you smoking? I don't know, not that much. Once a week, once a month, what? Mom, I do it when I go to parties. It's just a way to kick back and mellow out every once in a while. I see. So you kick back and mellow out to your car, get behind the wheel and mellow yourself right into a telephone pole? I mean, you already managed to do that once straight. Or were you straight then? I don't get high and drive. You were going to drive tonight. You know what? Don't you guys think you're making a big deal out of this? If it wasn't a big deal, why were you hiding under the bench out there? Because I knew you'd freak. Well, why do you think I'd freak about it? Why do you think so? It's because what you're doing is illegal here. You know what, Dad? Don't you think you're being a little hypocritical? Well, why don't you explain that to me? I don't know. You were alive during the whole hippie thing. Are you telling me you never smoked weed? Don't turn this around. This is not about us. <laughs> So going, like I said, from the streets of Derry, Maine, and the sewers of Derry, Maine, all the way cross-country, taking it west coast for our a Criminal Minds doubleheader, of all things. Not just a season cliffhanger, but a season starter to boot. We get to enjoy a little extra Tim Curry, courtesy of our Season 5 finale, Episode 23 of Season 5. 114 of Criminal Minds. They're probably on like 300 or some shit now. Our Darkest Hour. And tailing into our Season 6 kickoff, The Longest Night. Our 115th episode to kick off Season 6. It is a tradition now with Criminal Minds when they do these end-of-year cliffhanger things. You get some kind of celebrity unsub who is gracing you not just with one episode, but two. And while Bix, no one could ever replace the Boston Reaper, George Foyette, played by C. Thomas Howell, the definitive baddie of all criminal minds, we get Tim Curry as Billy Flynn. Mommy issue, addled, meth-smoking, psychopathic, RV-dwelling serial killer who's decided to return to Los Angeles for the rolling blackouts and take advantage of all that comes in the darkness. I know that you derive the same sick pleasure from the simultaneous greatness and horrificness of Criminal Minds. Although maybe not the same sick pleasure as you. Well, (laughs) that's, that's always a given on this show. But, but I feel I feel like you pick up a lot of what I'm throwing down about why I find this show so entertaining. How would you feel about seeing Tim Curry fill in as a unsub for a classic year end or season ending season kicking off two parter unsub? He gives your traditional good actor slumming it on Criminal Minds performance. That's I mean, and that's and that's like part of why like and that's part of why I want to talk about it and. As we'll get to a Tales from the Crypt, I mean, I, I mean, everything is excellent. There's a reason his performance is nominated for a for an Emmy. But um, to me, like this and it, like the reason, like I brought up it, like that's a to me like a pop cult. Like he makes Pennywise the clown, not just the clown that people fear, and inspires a world where like literally people are now dressing up as clowns and going and trying to stop traffic in the dead of night in the blackened streets of America and Britain, which is bananas. This is in, in part inspired by the kind of clown phobia that Tim Curry spawned by owning Pennywise so hard. And on a smaller scale here, you have, especially for a season finale, for a season kickoff, when you look at some of the other two-parters that they've done, I think exceptionally weak-ass, stupid writing 
and he still just owns it so hard. Tim Curry can just make you believe and suspend disbelief. For such a badly written character and such a badly written episode of such a badly written and ghoulish, awful television show. It really is. It really is. is quite good here. He, I mean, he, that's the thing. And, and, and that's why, like, I wanted you to see it and that kind of thing is Tim Curry just, he finds a way to take these roles that sound like, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not going to act like I'm like the world's biggest, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show fan, but I mean, even to this day, when I see it, I remember the first time I watched the movie, I remember sitting down and watching it with my mother and just thinking, oh my God, like, not not like the character not like oh my god like i can't believe this just oh my god like this guy owns this shit like how could you even share the set like uh, like when i see the rocky horror picture show i just think how could other human beings even exist on set with this man who is look this is two scoops you know what tim curry is bix he's mathematically improbable and incalculable effort He's 200% effort or more. He just dominates these roles to a point where they transcend how silly the actual topic matter might be. Even if the, the, the writing itself is impossibly weak, like it is these two Criminal Minds episodes. Now, Criminal Minds, is there any way to really just explain just how bad it was or is or however you want to put it other than to – read what Mandy Patinkin said about it to New York Magazine? Well, Mandy Patinkin, even above Tom Gibson, no matter how you might feel about Dharma and Greg, he was the initial star hook, and he did walk away after the second season. So, During the second season. Dur- that's true, yeah. during the second season. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, who who better to hear from than someone on the inside? Although, maybe maybe there's a toxic environment through and through because – are you are you are are you appraised of why Thomas Gibson was recently relieved of his duties from the show? Didn't he? Like, he freaked out on a producer it, and like punched him in the face. Yeah, I, I was that trying mean, to remember what the specific act of violence was. Yeah, he just punched one of the producers in the face, and I want to say that he actually had like a producer credit at this point in time on the show or something yeah, I would like think that. So I would think him and Montana both did. Yeah, like. <laughs> And and I mean, not that he's the most sophisticated dude because he got caught in like two years ago or three years ago in like what appeared to be a very basic catfishing scam. So I mean, I don't, oh, I, don't I didn't really... know about that. Yeah, just just like just classic, like oh, you're famous and on TV, like I'm a young hot blonde and you have a wife. I'm sorry, we can't be together. And he's just like sending dick pics and stuff, like just just classic horny rich dude. I won't get caught type shit. And obviously gets caught because he's an idiot, even though he's a criminal profiler. And what is he in Dharma and Greg, a lawyer? He, he's whatever Greg was. <laughs> he's he's whatever rich-ass, candy-ass, white-guy job Greg had in Dharma and Greg. I think he's a lawyer, but if not, he he did something with money, fin- head of financial, whatever. What was, it, what was the animated series that did a Dharma and Greg parody? Was it Family Guy? Like early yeah. Family Guy? yeah. It's early family guy. Where it's like, she's standing on a table or something, and Greg just like, oh, you're such a free so, spirit, darling. Yeah. Get down from there. Yeah. Uh, what an that awful, really is. awful television show. 
And it only lasted like a million fucking seasons. So uh, speaking the, of awful television shows, it was a million seasons. Yeah, speaking speaking That's of Mandy awful Patinkin. television yeah. shows, uh, Mandy Patinkin, Bix, let's let's hear why he decided to opt out out of, of uh, America's favorite criminal profiling show. Which, by the way, um, even though it's slumped in recent seasons and whatnot, and I'm sure I mean can't be that much longer for the world, is still an incredibly popular show on on fucking CBS. Like their average age is like dead. It's like the infirmed in a housebound. And they're watching like, oh, like, hey, honey, remember Star Trek The Next Generation? It's the little boy, Will Wheaton. He's going to imprison this couple in a fucking hotel and terrorize them and rape the woman. Let's watch it. On that note, Potenkin only recently began opening up in interviews about that departure. Talking about Criminal Minds. That departure. The biggest, the biggest, the biggest public mistake I ever made was that I chose to do Criminal Minds in the first place. He says, "I thought it was something very different. I never thought they were going to kill and rape all these women every night, every day, week after week, year after year. It was very destructive to my soul and my personality. After that, I didn't think I would get to work in television again." And then he explains how he feels Homeland is different, being that it has violence and blah, 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 saying, I'm not making a judgment on the taste of, peop- of people who watch crime procedurals, but I'm concerned about the effect it has. Audiences all over the world use this programming as their bedtime story. This isn't what you need to be dreaming about. A show like Homeland is the antidote because it asks if why there's a need for violence in the first place, which I don't know if he's completely characterizing Homeland properly but it's it's close enough and what he's talking about with criminal minds though he's not wrong because i haven't been watching it much lately i'd seen a good bit of the show and reruns and stuff the thing that's really striking is just how weirdly cavalier the show is about both the victims in general and if the victims are sexually assaulted I mean, it's it's every kind of trauma and abuse that, you know, it's 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 just it's like that's the thing is to me, Criminal Minds is first of all, it illustrates to me like one of the reasons why you still want to watch it, even if you're like you and me and appreciate how shit this show is and just how truly craven it is at times, even if you appreciate these things, you still see the elements of potential greatness. You still see certain sorts of concepts. And as we'll talk about with these episodes, uh, the use of music, like these two Tim Curry episodes, the opening shot of the first episode is kind of like almost like a super eight film version of what would be Tim Curry's character, Billy Flynn's ride in his RV back into Los Angeles. You see him cross through the grand Canyon and go through Reno all while it plays of all songs, speaking of things that you might want to go on Amazon and buy to get spooky, especially because he's got a new album out, Leonard Cohen's I'm Your Man, which is my favorite Leonard Cohen song and, frankly, like a song that that nicely, I think, constitutes beautifully haunting. It, at the end of the day, it is a love song, but it is a truly disconcerting and weird one, to say the least. And then, ultimately, you, you see him enter the city and uh, get to work. 
you see things like this and you understand why like like that there is merit to the show but you see how far they miss the mark i think responding and we've talked about this before like leading up to this i think kind of responding to their early audience and manicuring the show into what they thought maybe the internet wanted to see well the first season especially the early part of the first season is a different show it's not substantially different it's not like the giant transformation some other shows would make and finding themselves, but it's not as weird and ghastly and ghoulish and prurient as the show became. No, and and there's something to be said for just doing it over and over again for network. You know, if this was like every time I see this show and see a half decent episode, all I think was, or all I think is, what if this was premium cable? What if? What if we did kind of like, you know, the true detective thing and you took like one unsub and strung it up for a season? Hell, even Dexter, which is more or less what they did with, you know, killings thrown in throughout. But because it's like a 23, 24 episode a season thing, it's just, yeah, like, and, and you can tell, like you said, because it becomes this this kind of like rote, like paint by number sort of system where they're just at this point trying to hinge like wh- what weird what weird thing or delusion or obsession can we give this unsub to make this episode different in some way the actual overwhelming trauma of what they're attempting to describe is completely dismissed right it's like oh did he rape her yeah well let's use that to try to figure out why he's killing these people yeah, so this this particular uh, two episodes, we we get some rape, but we we stop short, fortunately, of Tim Curry having to rape any children. Instead, oh good, uh, I, would, I would so okay. So so having watched this, how would you how would you d- describe uh, the plot of at least our, our first episode featuring uh, Eric Close of Without a Trace fame? Uh, okay, so Eric Close, Martin from Without a Trace, and trying to think, what else has he even even been on? And also, don't forget, Robert Dabby's there, too. Yep. Playing his police partner. Yeah, because you needed to raid other similarly awful and ghoulish procedurals for uh, these people. And it's, they... Catch a case, and it seems like it's maybe reminiscent of some past murders and stuff. And meanwhile, uh, Eric Close is very haunted by his parents' death in a car accident as he, when he was a child. And this is something that's thrown out there because, hey, I guess I guess it could be important later, but probably not. Even though he's clearly a one-off character, uh, <laughs> it's it's the season finale. He's 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 a guesto who's famous from another crime procedural. On I'm sure he's I'm sure he's going to be here for a while. And it turns out that Tim Curry uh, killed his parents too. Yes. So the the whole setup for this is as Tim well, Curry. Also, re- for someone who's like dealing with the fact that he di- didn't realize that not only were his parents actually murdered, but that his mother was brutally raped as he was in the yes. next room. Yes. He actually deals with it quite well. Yes, he he really he really takes it on the chin and doesn't show any trauma from that whatsoever. It's also crazy because even if you want to believe that this individual suppressed the memory, the whole idea is that Eric Close's character of Detective Matt Spicer 
has kind of become like a cause celebre of the Los Angeles Police Department. They describe him as like the like, I believe I believe uh supervisory special agent Spencer Reed refers to him as the go-to guy for robbery and homicide in LA's Central New Division, the busiest in LA. So he you know what he is? Who? Mark what? Furman never screwed up at all. <laughs> That's what this guy is. I love that you added, like, it also adds, like, a different subtext to, like, his tensions with Shamar Moore as as, as Derek Morgan attempts to, like, suss out his real background story. No, because the thing with Mark Furman is that Mark Furman is a legitimately great detective. Yeah. He's, he's just an awful man. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, 100%. But, yeah, that's, that's totally apt. No, but, like, if Mark Furman did not have all of these issues, you know he would be, like, the star detective of BLAPD back then. Oh, dude! I mean, if dude, think of what he'd be. Dude, them. think of what he would be today. No, I'm saying if he had not sued them for making him racist <laughs> years earlier, he would be like the star detective. And again, dude, like being that, like, I think of where this dude would be today. Like, he'd probably be some kind of state official in California or something. Oh boy! Oh, and oh boy! Shamar Moore is Derek Morgan. So this I poor mean, fucker. <laughs> the only thing we can really say for this guy is that Shamar Moore is not a great actor. He's a beautiful man who acted on soap operas. Because I mean, dude, you ever seen a dude more looking like he looks like everything a soap opera actor is supposed to be? So he is the most telegenic man on TV. He, he is just infinitely telegenic. Also, he had a recent scandal, too, where, like, apparently, like, his closest BFF was, like, bilking money off of him and, like, embezzling shit from him. So, kind of like a credulous guy, too, which makes me like him more. You know, he believes in the good of people. So, Shamar Moore gets cast on this show. And early on in Criminal Minds, the role of supervisory special agent Derek Morgan is not a terrible one. He he dresses like a grown-up. He wears a sports jacket. He is a ballistics and bomb expert. He's kind of glib and shitty because he's clearly like the jocular overachiever. But he's also their expert on obsessional crimes. He's supposed to be a very specialized profile. Yes. And by season two, he is basically, to draw back to our homies from Duran Duran, he's basically horny Indiana Jones meets robert wrestler like he is like he is just (laughs) they put him in an extra medium v-neck shirt and show off his tattoos and there's no one in the history of this show who has caught more bodies than Derek morgan this guy shoots like six fucking killers a season he kills everybody but he's an awful guy he kills so many unsubs like they set up these situations in criminal minds all the time where it's like okay well the guy's a coward he's gonna try to commit suicide by cop but they never try to prevent it like Derek morgan none of these people really but especially not Derek. no no one's ever like hey we know what he's trying to do let's shoot him in the leg well, let's disarm works, him. Though. No, let's <laughs> let's let's well, put no, a laser str- scope on his face. No one's ever strategizing like they would be on no. other cop shows. Even if it's not realistic, they're not doing what other cop shows would do in the moment, which is like 
guy sneaking up, like, going around the house and getting behind him or whatever. No! Which, like, and again, I know that's not realistic, but they're not doing it for realism. It's, it's like, you know, it, it is <laughs> the depths they go to with this show, like, it's, it's truly confounding. You know, they make plot use out of the psychological trauma of the central cast members on occasion. But if these were real people operating in these situations, the profundity of their trauma would just be off the charts. Derek Morgan is, I would, I need to go back, but if there's any criminal minds, um, like rain man savant out there listening right now, and you just know the body count of Derek Morgan, please let me know. Cause this is going to become, I'm saying it right now. I'm going to tabulate it at some point. I will go through every episode. I'm going to find out how many people SSA Derek Morgan has killed over the, I don't know, where are we at? Like 12 years now? Of Criminal oh, I didn't Minds? realize he left, too. He left last season? Or at the oh, end did of the season? Uh, I had no idea. I just Googled how many people has Derek Morgan killed. <laughs> and <laughs> the second Google number. result is Shamar Morley's Criminal Minds, why he left from uh march and then there's also tv line jamar moore leaving criminal mind season 11 well great then makes it all the easier to add up his body count it's fine oh my god there wait there's from also from march did Jarek die <laughs> i clearly have so much more to catch up on so don't don't spoil me here bix also 11 seasons this is incredible and, still... and, and we didn't even mention i mean we we're, we were talking about the broad strokes of it all of a sudden, the black guy can't be the smart one. <laughs> I mean, the the muscle and the guy who shoots things. He, oh, dude, dude, doesn't shoot things. Shoots people constantly. Kills kills every unsub he can. Like Derek Morgan, Derek Morgan, this criminal profiler, who, by the way, again, is a criminal profiler. He is not the dude that should be kicking indoors and doing this shit in the first place. No, he's not a SWAT team member. Exactly. But never mind that. He's always there. And by the way, who gets to fucking ice Tim Curry? Is it Derek Morgan? It sure is. How does he do it? Tim Curry goes to put up his gun, ices him. By the way, the final scene, an actual testament to Tim Curry's acting. It is – they do a great job. And, like, these are the kind of things that actually, like, make Criminal Minds good when it's good. They do a brilliant job at playing up the idea that Tim Curry's Billy Flynn character, who – his mother was a prostitute. He was obviously in, a, incredibly, horrifically traumatized by watching her take Johns and be abused and do all these sorts of things. When he turns 18 years old, he kills her and begins a – a life of serial killing in his RV in addition to being a, a methamphetamine user who just rolls around with a Smith & Wesson Model 19. Very nice gun, by the way, Bix. 38 ammunition. An American classic. That's another thing you'll notice, by the way. No one <laughs> – this is like a really this, – <laughs> this is like some Rain Man shit too. Like I feel embarrassed even saying this out loud. You always notice in Criminal Minds, no one ever uses a non-American firearm. Like everyone, everyone uses American guns. No one shoots anyone. The only time someone uses a Glock or anything is if it's a cop. Like it's like, oh shit! Like it turns out, like he's, like it's it's an inside job. The cops are the dirty ones. Like everyone else, it's always, always an American-made 
firearm for whatever reason. Okay, so nonetheless, I gotta add this. Uh, so go ahead. I'm looking at these uh, Shamar Moore articles. <laughs> yeah, especially the pictures, and uh, I'm kidding. And <laughs> here's what the Daily Mail one says: Ladies, prepare yourselves. There will be no more baby girls uttered around the BAU. After 11 seasons, Shamar Moore has stepped away from Criminal Minds and his beloved character, Derek Morgan. On Wednesday night, it was revealed that the brawn and big heart of the crime-fighting team was going to stop fighting serial killers to focus on his family. The man who brought Agent Morgan to life, Shamar... Is that a British thing that they're going, referring to him by his first name? I have says, no idea. This is creepy. Says he plans to do the same, too. The 45-year-old actor is leaving the show after a torrid season... His character was nearly tortured to death. He found love, a wife, and had a baby, and he could not be happier. And he got ripped off a lot of money by the dude who claimed to like, be his best friend or whatever. That was Shamar Moore. That wasn't Tara Morgan. So this guy, the beloved, beloved Derek Morgan, who shot all these unsubs to death, the scene where he actually shoots in the oh second. Oh, my God up because it had to happen <laughs> uh for some reason the daily mail um decided to put in a uh photoshopped photo um i i, I think I do, i'll just show this to you hold on all right I'm, I'm all over the window let's see let's see what you sent me let's see oh, i'm gonna send it to you yeah all right, David Bixon fans, type in. I'm clicking. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh, I I assume you want me to describe this. Yes. This is. I don't know what the original impetus for this is. This is also super creepy, creepy Bix, because before we started this segment, we were discussing yeah, like I know, <laughs> man, fan fiction's really creepy. I bet Criminal Minds has a lot of horrible fan fiction that's really scary. So this is a picture that appears to be in a Victorian library and is a crude Photoshop of um, Shamar Moore spooning Criminal Minds co-star Matthew Gray Goobler and kissing his neck while Matthew Gray Goobler uh, reaches around his head. It is positively ghastly. Before the internet, did girls like this and we just didn't know? Like, because the whole, like... This is this is why we're going to have to do a whole... This is why we're going to have to do a whole show on fan fiction. Shows like this, Bix. That's why. I guess I don't... I don't know how to answer that, but I'm equally as compelled as you are. So, so fan fan fiction aside, the sadness here... Is that, of course, Shamar Moore gets to shoot Tim Curry to death, but not before Tim Curry, the way the final scene's actually shot, even though it's preposterously dumb, J.J. Cook, who's, or A.J. Cook, excuse me, who's a terrible actress and plays Jennifer Drew, J.J. on the show, she is able to, in the second episode, get on, like, every frequency on the Los Angeles radio waves. And they realize that Tim Curry's character is listening through his radio constantly, both for narcissistic approval, but also to keep abreast of police maneuvers. And they plead to him to let go 
<laughs> Detective Matt Spicer's daughter, who he's abducted after shooting him in the head in front of Shamar Moore. When Shamar Moore finally confronts him, they do a brilliant job, I think, at they frame him like he's he's abducted this this couple and tape them up and he has them in their master bedroom and just has them as collateral while he sits on the bed and he's clearly already very resigned to his fate he's obviously been broken somehow by jennifer jerome's decree over the radio and he starts to wax poetic about his mother and and talk about how he feels like he saved her from a a life of treachery and that you know when when morgan questions him really do you, do you think you've been saving people all this time? Tim Curry laughs. Huh. Well, I suppose not. And they do a brilliant job at shooting him in the light and making you really feel what a disgusting, physical, corporeal incarnation of evil Billy Flynn is. Ultimately, before he decides to raise his gun up and get shot to death by supervisory special agent Derek Morgan, like 25 to 33 percent of everyone who's ever committed a crime on criminal minds. Bix, as usual, Tim Curry goes another level. He transcends the actual subject matter he's involved with. And what does he have to show for it? He gets shot to death by a fucking soap opera star. Now I'm trying to remember, did they find him with their magic computer at all? Or was it more actual police work? Nah, dude, have you seen – dude, this is a whole episode to itself, (laughs) fucking Penelope Garcia. You better believe – I took note. The 24 and a half minute of the first episode, Garcia has linked all of his crimes together. If If you've never seen Criminal Minds, just know none of the characters are even remotely important other than the white girl with the Spanish last name who works on the computer back in Quantico, Virginia. Other than her, they're all expendable. Yeah, they're all just idiots. Rare, it's very rare that any of the profilers actually do any profiling. No. I mean, they profile, but they come up with these grandiose guesses, and then they're just like, Garcia, um, I think we're looking for uh, probably he's a male. He's 18 to 34. He probably played sports in high school. You may consider him a type A personality. He probably has a high-ranking job, like a lawyer or a banker or a movie star or a football player or a car dealership owner or, or a candlestick th- maker. Can- <laughs> and then she's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, one sec, I'll call you back. And then five minutes later, it's like, all right, it's this guy. Here's his address. So, <laughs> so I mean, if you've never is seen – Is there any police procedural that has ever had less police work done on the show? No. No. No, never. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Penelope Garcia does a lot of police work. None of these other people do. No, 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 no. She, she theoretically does police work, but she's actually solving the cases by magic. <laughs> oh, I mean, she has the internet, man. She's a hacksaw. She's a lead hacksaw. I gotta be honest, though. Bix, I'm a little depressed after seeing a thing where Tim Curry goes all out. He's a hell of a performance. Like I said, he transcends the material. And what does he get for it? He gets shot by a soap opera star. Oh, wait. Are you saying that you want to see him maybe uh, come out on top? I'm saying I want to see our boy get a little comeuppance. And frankly, at the end of the day, we talked about it too. It is still defeated. Pennywise the Dancing Clown may rise every 28 to 30 years, but the Losers Club still beat him twice. I would like to see Tim Curry 
as three people, two genders, a mother, a father, and a daughter. And if I could see him take revenge on anyone, for whatever reason, I feel like it should be against Ed Beckley Jr. like I said, we've gone through a bit of Tim Curry Halloween loveliness, but at the end of the day, Pennywise the Dancing Clown doesn't come out on top every 28 to 30 years. The Losers Club ultimately gets him. Billy Flynn, sadistic serial killer in his RV, smoking meth, licking his 38 special bullets before he puts them in his 38 snub nose. He doesn't ultimately get the upper hand on the behavioral analysis unit. Are you excited to not just break ground on what I think will be a long-running two-scoop standard, but see what, to me, is my favorite, my defining Tim Curry role? Rolza. I'm ready for this one. So for people who listen to me on Sure Dog or whatever and heard me talk about Tales from the Crypt for years and espouse the fact that uh, HBO's Tales from the Crypt is... It is my favorite television show ever. And hell, if you want to go even deeper, you could even consider Tales from the Crypt and the associated EC comic books, be it The Haunt of Fear or whatever, my favorite comic books ever, if you want to consider those like comics proper. This is my jam. This is, this is probably more than anything the television show that, that joins us here today. Without this, I'm not sure I would be the kind of weird individual that would want to like hook up with you and like like rank every junior ADA in Law and Order history. You know what I mean? Kind of. It 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 gives me just a deeper appreciation for the silliness of television. What entertainment's supposed to be all about? It's the right level of horror and schlock. I love everything about it. And who better to give a defining performance than Tim Curry? I can't say that this is my favorite. Tales from the Crypt episode. I think like most people who've seen Tales from the Crypt, whether you've only seen a couple episodes or whether you've obsessively seen all 93 of the HBO episodes plus the two movies plus Ritual, which isn't quite an official movie but is still kind of, but you've probably seen it anyway if you love the show. Even if you've seen all that, most people's favorite episode tends to be the all-time second episode and all through the house, famous for... Not just Robert Zemeckis directing, but his late wife, R.I.P. Mary Ellen Trainer, starring as the lead character who is terrified by a 
psychotic Santa Claus mental escapee with an axe, which is also depicted in the actual Tales from the Crypt Hammer film from 1972 with Joan Crawford in the uh, Mary Ellen Tranner role. When we get to ha- uh, excuse me, when we get to Christmas, as we're we're doing holidays, we'll get there, Bix, because it's it's my all, it's it's really my only Christmas tradition that and a Christmas story. But this is probably my second favorite episode. There's a reason that Tim Curry was nominated for an Emmy for best uh, guest actor in a dramatic appearance or in a dramatic series for this. We're about to watch Death of Some Salesman. And also, it dovetails and rubs elbows nicely with some of our two scoopsers. Because this is, not unlike the Tim Curry episode we talked about, you know, Tim Curry, we talked about with uh, Criminal Minds, bookended season five and six. This is the season five kickoff of Tales from the Crypt. So on October 2nd, 1993, they would have aired three episodes. The episode that immediately would have followed this, As Ye So, which is directed by Kyle McLaughlin, Twin Peaks fame, not only stars Patsy Kensett and Hector Elizondo, do you know who else it stars, Bix? And who gives an incredible performance in episode two, season five of Tales from the Crypt? It's your boy, Sam Waterston. Explain. Do tell. What, 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 what's he got going for him in this one? He is uh, so Hector Elizondo of uh, Chicago Hope. Is that right? He's on Chicago Hope. That was his thing. Yes, I don't. I don't know where where you put extraneous vowels in his name or why you put <laughs> extraneous vowels in his name, but you just did. El- Elizondo. How, what is the actual yes, spell? It's, it's Elizondo. Elizondo. My bad. Well, Chicago Hope and also the original taking of Pelham One Two Three. So he stars alongside former. Liam Gallagher, wife of Oasis, Patsy Kensett, British it girl and model. So the whole idea is that Hector Elizondo is he marries Patsy Kensett and they're quite religious. He's Irish. He's Puerto Rican. He's got that hot blood. You know how it is when you got that extra bone in your head, Bix. And he suspects that he might be cheating on him. So he goes to a kind of shady private investigator played by Sam Waterston who leads him to believe that in fact his wife is cheating on him and uh, at the end of the day it turns out that uh, old Jack McCoy might not really be a small guy he might actually be a swindler who is unfortunately duped Hector Elizondo into killing his wife unwittingly and doesn't give a shit and just takes off with his money your wife is oh. risking people's lives. Also on that night. I'm sorry, episode... that was terrible. <laughs> Not at all. You got that Tim Ta- you got that Tim the Toolman Taylor in earlier. Don't 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 turn back on yourself now, Bix. Also, in uh this particular uh night, you get a threesome on October second, nineteen ninety three. That's the way Tales from the Crypt always kicked off on HBO. Three episodes in a row to start the season. The third episode of season five, Forever Ombergree. Also, probably a top five episode for me, starring, of all people, Roger Daltrey of The Who and Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. And classic HBO episode. You get tits and sex and, quite frankly, something I think any Tales from the Crypt head can attest to. 
possibly the goriest and most gruesome episode in all 93 episodes that aired on HBO. So this particular evening, and as we're talking about Halloween, can I point out a few years ago, I dressed up as Steve Buscemi's eyes, Steve Buscemi, Steve Buscemi's eyes for Halloween. So all kinds of crossing of the wires as we go through October 2nd, 1993, but that is some salesman. To me, this is this is Tim Curry to me. Ultimately, as grim as it sounds, Bix, Tim Curry had a stroke. He's wheelchair-bound now. They got him doing Fox knockoff Earthsats bullshit versions of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But in my heart and my mind, if one day I ever have adorable little children who listen to the Wild Thornberries or some other cartoon that Tim Curry voiced. You don't already? <laughs> well, ones that I know of, ones I can actually communicate with. If I ever find them, if I ever have them, this will be the thing that I share with them, as gruesome as it might be. It is the first episode of the fifth season of Tales from the Crypt, and I'm incredibly excited that we finally get to do some Tales from the Crypt action. The, the, the show that may be the freak I am today uh, David Bix's fan, are you excited? Aroused, even. I'm excited for you. Here we go. What do you see right off the bat, by the way? I see a man being hanged. For what purpose? Uh, commerce. If you're watching an episode of Tales from the Crypt, you know, as good as the episode might be, you're really in there for the bookends. You want those interstitials. You want those bumpers on either side of the story with the Crypt Keeper. Van Snowden's puppetry work, as far as I'm concerned, um, once they get to late season two and go to the full-scale puppet, early in season one, early in season two, they have a, a much smaller Crypt Keeper puppet. When they go to the full Crypt Keeper puppet that takes like eight puppeteers to control – and they're able to combine stuff like this. Oh boy, this is magic. So the whole idea of this, this story, Death of Some Salesman, it's originally adapted from the Haunt of Fear EC comic book, uh, edition 15, September, October, 1952. One of four stories in that particular comic. And, and frankly, as a kid that loved this show, I came to accept that when they went through the credits and you saw that the the EC comic they were crediting was The Haunt of Fear, you knew, oh boy, we're in for a banger. We know this is going to be some gruesome shit. I was excited. So this particular story adapted from obviously a comic book story in the 1950s. And so in, in our opening scene here, we have the Crypt Keeper doing his crypt-laden interstitial, but with Chirons on the screen promoting the Home Chopping Network. And we're about to get, I think, one of the best Crypt Keeper opening scenes ever because you get so many rapid-fire Crypt Keeper-esque puns. Well, kiddies, I'm afraid our designer hanger offer has expired. Would somebody please get Mr. De La Renta out of here? Next up on the Home Chopping Network, it's time for the Crypt Keeper's Fashion Boutique. Today we're featuring my full line of Après-V death care products. We've got everything from face scream to mascara. 
Try some. It's the best thing you can do for demise. <laughs> don't act like you don't love this, Bix. He is uh, cut up. <laughs> exactly. Also, I love the I love the the wig that he that the crib keeper is wearing here. <laughs> and the uh mustard yellow sports coat. Every everything is broadcasting sports ball in the United States. <laughs> By the time they get to season three, the Crypt Keeper bumpers before and out of the episode, even if you watch an abysmal episode, even if it's one of your least favorites, there's always the chance that the Crypt Keeper interstitials might save it, whether he's dressed up like he's running for president, uh, hawking wares on the home chopping network, whether he's dressed up like a quarterback. Uh, whether he's dressed up like an airline attendant, <laughs> the the Crypt Keeper interstitial scenes are so batshit insane that they could possibly save even the lamest of Tales from the Crypt episodes. We continue. <laughs> or maybe I could interest you in tonight's special. Please it's do. It's a tasteless tidbit about a traveling cemetery plot salesman who's about to make a grave mistake. I call it Death of Some Salesman. Short synopsis. Your boy Ed Bagley Jr., who would go on to double as uh, <laughs> Larry David, Seinfeld founder in the future. Ed Bagley Jr. is an unscrupulous... Uh, Wait, what do you mean go on to double as Larry David? Well, I mean, he played Larry David in a movie about Larry David. He did? Yeah, didn't he? What movie? Have you? Hang on, let's look this up. I've definitely seen this movie on cable where he plays... Ed, okay, Ed Begley, Larry David. I can't have, like, invented this in my head. Whatever works. Whatever Works is a 2009 American comedy film directed and written by Woody Allen, starring Larry David, Evan Rachel Wood, Patricia Clarkson, I mentioned earlier, incredibly, Ed Beckley Jr., Michael McKean, no, and Henry K. No, Patricia Richardson earlier, not Patricia Clarkson. Oh, my bad. My bad. Uh, how dare you? Uh, I, <laughs> how dare you insult Patricia Clarkson like that? Whatever. Uh, uh, uh. I'm, I'm Tim the Toolman Taylor. I'm an idiot. I've betrayed my family. But no, Ed Begley Jr., like, the whole thing is that, like, he doesn't he, like, play Larry David in that thing? But Larry David's in it, so what, he plays Larry David in, like, a film within the film? Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, this whole, like, meta amusement. It's late period Woody Allen. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think of this. Oh, no, I take it back. Apparently, uh, uh... No, he plays uh, Patricia Clarkson's husband, it looks like, in the movie. I don't know. Maybe I've just always like seen the box art and been like, oh, he looks like Larry David. He's playing Larry David. What is wrong with you? I don't know. The extra bone in my head has been broken so many times from already doing this show. I feel like this is th this show is going to be the ultimate undoing of both of us. We'll watch we'll watch so much bizarre media and so many say so many insane things to one another that will tear one another down to our our very atomic cores. All right, let's get back to this. So, Ed Begley Jr., unscrupulous, <laughs> unscrupulous uh, cemetery plot salesman, basically looks up funerals across the good old U.S. of A. and attempts to hound these people for money in classic fraud schemes. Unfortunately, he's about to meet a family of uh, financially endowed, but... 
commercially scrupulous hillbillies who all happen to be played by our Lord and Savior, Mr. Tim Curry. So we, we, we open as Tim Curry is uh, circling his, his funerals for the day. You mean Ed Beagley is? <laughs> Ed Beagley. Looking for his funerals of the day, looking for people to possibly hit up, extort, and defraud as there's a beautiful woman behind him in his hotel room. You're up already. What time is it? Almost 6 a.m. Hashling in time. Hashling. I told you last night I'm through with that goddamn coffee shop. I'm going with you, isn't that what we said? Well, there's been a little change of plans. But we said last night. Last night was last night. So you lied to me. No. You said you wanted to get out of this stinking little burg, and I sold you way to... Bex, can you, can you quickly comment on how excited you are that we got the HBO rip here? Uh, what do you mean? This this woman's breasts have been exposed behind Ed Begley Jr. for 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 many seconds. Oh, as opposed to syndication, you mean? Yes, I grew up watching this on Fox. I grew up in Canada. I didn't have HBO. I had to do it midnight Saturday night. Fox TV, Rochester feed, two episodes, twelve twelve thirty. You hope that you didn't see some repeats. You hope you saw something new. You never got the tits, and they bleeped out the swearing. It was trash. Where were the Where were the boobs? Were they blurred? I mean, like, I mean, I don't think I ever saw this episode growing up. Like, there are so many episodes. Like, that's the thing. There are so many episodes that growing up now, I realize that Fox intentionally kept out of the pool. Um and a lot of my favorite episodes because they're gross. I mentioned the Steve Buscemi and Roger Daltrey episode for Forever Almagree, which debuted this exact same night, October 2nd, uh, 1993. Um, I never saw that growing up on Fox, and it's clearly one of the best episodes ever. Uh, I I never saw um, – Oh, God, what's another good example? Oh, the episode with Morton Downey Jr., where he essentially plays himself and goes into a haunted house and is ultimately, like, has his chest flayed out with a chainsaw. Never got to see that episode. There were so many episodes that Fox clearly just skipped because they were easier to edit than one or another. It was obviously easier to edit, you know vulgar language than it was to censor out an entire scene like this this chick behind ed medley's had her tits out for like 20 seconds already right yes like fox not gonna like skip the entire scene so like these are like the kind of episodes where when i was able to hit the internet and realize man i love this show growing up there must be so many episodes i never got to see these are the kind of things that i got to fall in love with we continue Ed Begley Jr., terrible guy. To do it for the night. And now it's morning and the warranty's expired. Damn you. Spare me the tears, okay, sweetheart? But you said you loved me. <laughs> yes, yes. I said I loved you and you dropped your little panties. It's called salesmanship. Oh boy. 
also keep that mind in line as we we go through our uh, horrific odyssey here. So our boy, our boy Ed Begley, he's rolling around in a uh, top-down Cadillac convertible, doing his thing. He's about to hit up. Get a get a nice little appearance from. Uh, I don't know. I think a, a nice nod to a uh, a horror veteran. You get Yvonne DiCarlo, better known as the matriarch of the monsters. We go monsters or an Adams family, dude, Bix, uh, or neither. Uh, oh, you mean the monsters? Yes. You just kept calling them the monsters, and I was trying to no out the monsters. The you were about. I was like, I was raised in like a weird household where I was, I was like my mother for whatever reason. Um, she grew up with the monsters, so they were what I was exposed to first. And I like, <laughs> as I've explained to you in the past, my mother like has like a curious kind of like tenuous grasp on historical timelines so i grew up thinking that somehow the monsters predated the adams family until i discovered that charles adams actual drawings in the new yorker went back to like the 20s and 30s to this day my mother still believes that like the monsters somehow predate the adams family well your mother believes a lot of things i know (laughs) and also for the record M-U-N-S-T-E-R-S. Monsters. Monsters! I, man! I, I feel like the track will vindicate me. It will. I did not say the monsters. Come on now. You said the monsters twice. How dare you? Frank and Lily. I know their names. I'm there. Anyway, Yvonne DiCarlo. Vancouver Zone. A Canadian gem. Late cameo appearance. She's getting on Tales from the Crypt. She's about to get swindled by Ed Begley. He had cancer. Well, I know that, but Monday he puts a down payment on a new cemetery plot. And then suddenly... Did you say he put a down payment on a cemetery plot? $250 for both you and him. Well, he didn't say anything about it to me. Well, he wanted it to be a surprise. He picked this spot. Lily Monster look way better than Morticia Adams, by the way. Uh, Can we agree on this fix? Yes, for sure. You goddamn right. Anyway, Avon DiCarlo, flex your thing. Right here. He wanted you to be among the first to enjoy eternal rest amidst all that beauty. Shame. He was so excited about the benefits package, too. Funeral expenses plus 10,000 cash. He loved you so much. $10,000? Yeah, I'll arrange for you to get a full refund when I get back to the office of the $250 deposit. Oh, but um, isn't there some way that I could get the benefits? I don't see how. Your husband has already passed on. Well, what if I paid you the money? Oh, ma'am, that would be illegal. Oh, I can't believe how you would ever accept that, Ed Begley. So suffice to say... Your boy, Ed Begley, takes her money, moves on. This poor woman, this poor widow. The last, like, literally the last monetary tender she has given to this complete swindler who moves on in his convertible. 
Unfortunately, Ed Bagley Jr. about to make a difference between Maple Drive and Maple Street. And as a result, he's about to meet three incarnations of Tim Curry. Young man. Are you selling something? As a matter of fact, because at Restful Hills, we believe that both you and your loved one should be able to rest in peace before as well as after. Oh, it sounds so nice. Now, I do have a lovely brochure that I'd like to... I'm sorry. I don't want Paul to miss this. Bix, how do you, how do you feel seeing Tim Curry in, in not just drag, but middle-aged southern housebound wife drag wearing a cameo around her neck and an apron? I'm not sure what I feel, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, are you, uh, I don't know if convinced is the right word, but do you somehow like buy it on some fundamental level? Do I mean, you feel? I don't know if it's Tim Curry, though, is the question. That's, that's a good point to consider as we get to watch Tim Curry play the entire family over the duration of this. Pa! Where is that old goat? Pa! Where in tarnation are you? Hold your horses, Ma. Right in the middle of digging. Oh, they got company. Pa Brackett a salesman. looks nothing like a Tim Curry. Salesman. Huh. Ain't that nice? <laughs> the old like, look at that makeup. Salesman used to come by all the time. Of course, nowadays everybody stays home, does their shopping. Yeah, Ma looks way more like Tim Curry than Pa does. Absolutely, but like the thing that the thing that flabbergasts me most about this episode. Even later, we'll see their daughter, Winona, also played by Tim Curry, who, who maybe looks the most like Tim Curry. Pa Brackett, the actual male, looks absolutely nothing like Tim Curry. The prosthetics here are actually absolutely incredible. Shopping on the TV. I don't know, but to me, it just ain't the same. No. Well... Set yourself. Show us what you got. I know what you mean. Buying things long distance, you know, you lose that human connection. Ain't that the truth? And when the product comes... Shut it, Ma. The young man don't give a damn what you think. Let him get down. Oh! I'll do just that, sir. At Restful Hills Memorial Park. That's some kind of cemetery? We call ourselves a memorial park. What we do is... Tries to bring peace to your loved ones both before and after your demise. For starters, we found a piece of property north side of town that will just knock your socks off. Look at this. Isn't that gorgeous? Oh. Suffice to say, we got some old people who are going to die soon. You know? They're, they're, they're looking to a, a, a greater future. So, yeah, they could absolutely use some funerary services. Absolutely. These are these are these are people that based on the prosthetics they've put on Tim Curry as playing both Ma and Pop Racket, uh, definitely gotta be in their sixties or somewhere thereabouts. Uh, death could be coming. Something you gotta consider. Fortunately, they're a family that likes cash. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm going to submit your paperwork with the payment, and I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to take you there myself. How does that sound? Sure thing. That's 
but you let me and Ma to go downstairs and get you some money. You take cash? <laughs> I prefer cash. <laughs> I'm going to rewind that real quick just because Tim Curry is the fucking man. Take you there myself. How does that sound? Sure thing. That's but you let me and Ma to go downstairs and get you some money. You take cash? <laughs> it speeds up the process. Well, we won't be but a minute. We got ourselves a sale. Some coffee or something? Yeah. Well, if you've been on the road all day, I expect you could use a little pick me up. <laughs> Somehow this doesn't strike me as the kind of family that's gonna make ill coffee. Come in, pa. Doesn't look like a good well, cut. Do you find them inherently creepy if they're not all played by Tim Curry, though? <laughs> well, here's the thing: is because you know it's Tim Curry, it's a it's it's easy to imagine at least mob bracket as being oh she's quite ghastly. You know, that's actually a man. But I've lived 29 years in this life, man. I've seen. <laughs> I've seen many a woman more unsightly and questionable than but Tim that's Curry. that's not what I mean. I mean that they are all Tim Curry. But uh, Paw Bracket at this point doesn't even look like Tim Curry. If I, if I subject – like if someone, if someone thrust me into this episode and I didn't know anything about it, I'd be like, oh, is that Tim Curry playing the mom? I don't know that I'd even guess it on Paw Bracket at this point in time unless I kind of was able to grasp that, like, because in the credits they go through and explicitly give him the three credits to let you know, hey, this guy's about to go another level for you. Yes. I buy, I buy, even even before we get to Winona, I buy all three of them as as viable human beings despite all being played. By Tim Curry. Unfortunately, is though is do you find them creepy though if they're not all Tim Curry? Yes, absolutely. The woman, the woman wears a cameo and an apron. Pa wears Harry Harry Potter glasses and overalls with a Henley shirt. Uh, I <laughs> I got questions for sure, especially knowing I was looking. I was I was looking for Maple Drive. Or excuse me, I was looking for Maple Street. I pulled up on Maple Drive. I've clearly encountered not the people I'm looking for. These are not the droids I'm looking for for sure. Oh, is is that coffee warm, Ed Begley? You're right it is. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to heat it up with that microwave? You going to heat it up with that microwave? Ah, ah, what's, that, what's that microwave, David Bix's fan? A head. That's clearly made out of gelatin. You think You think maybe it's a man that sold them a shitty microwave? Perhaps. Oh my god, is that a man in a pail on a vacuum cleaner? Could that be a man that sold him a shitty vacuum cleaner, David Bixen's fan? Were there microwave salesmen? I don't know. I imagine. I imagine at some point in time, everyone just slept at your house and tried to sell you some garbage. People used to sell encyclopedias door to door. I'd buy anything. I'm not saying I would like buy anything. I'm saying I would 
I would I would believe that people attempted to sell anything door to door. People are awful. Absolutely. That's probably why Ed Begley's about to get a fucking baseball bat to the head right now. You ain't going anywhere. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, oh. Down goes Ed Begley. That's that's three baseball shots to the head. I only counted two. I say we kill him now. I won't let you do it, Pa. Damn it, woman. I'm tired of you arguing with me. If I want him dead, he's dead, and that's all there is to it. Don't you raise your voice to me, old man, or I'll have your heart. Besides, it wouldn't be polite to kill him until he wakes up. Anyway, I think Winona should have a look at him first. <laughs> Get off of it. He ain't gonna want her. <laughs> ain't nobody in Winona's whole ugly goddamn life ever wanted her. I'd like her to be the judge of that. Hell, if she do want him, I don't. I don't want no goddamn salesman in the family. So, Bix, at this point, can we discuss how brilliantly this thing is shot where you never feel like they're stressing the idea that Tim Curry is playing every character? They knew a better job than some shows with better special effects budgets much much later did Zorals. Absolutely. Like, the thing that always astounds me about this is how well it's edited and how well it's directed by Gilbert Adler – where they are able to set these shots where even when you know all at this point two and about to become three characters are played by Tim Curry, you you always have this sense that they're independent characters because they shoot them so well and the shots they use don't overly kind of tip their hand at the special effect that's going on. Yeah, it's more uh, Orphan Black than it is wacky sitcom with lost identical cousin yes so (laughs) i believe next is the color tv scene which is the first time i ever referenced this episode to you and i described it in a manner that uh you thought sounded particularly horrific so i'm happy to show it to you now gonna water hey you wake up wake up damn it Ah, ah. He's up. Please let me go. Why? So you can run up to the police, tell them all about us. No, I won't say anything to anybody. I don't care about who those other guys are. Well, they're salesmen. Like you. Like that guy what sold us the crummy microwave. Didn't work. And the vacuum. And the color TV. Oh boy, the color TV. Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up, David McSpan. Now it's color TV. <laughs> you... All right. Describe the, describe the last three seconds of video I showed you. A, um, a, a corpse is stuffed into the TV and there's blood. And it's, it's not nearly as bad as what you described it to me as, which was basically a liquefied body with a face. <laughs> but how would you describe Tim Curry's acting on both fronts? Because his independent reactions as both Pa and Ma Brackett are absolutely fucking hysterical. <laughs> and Ed Begley, as I have it paused right now, recoiling in horror, is absolutely beautiful. 
Holy shit, what a great episode of television this is. So, we're going to find ourselves some Winona here. And uh, as Ed Begley's chained up, we'll reveal ourselves some Winona. Oh, you are so beautiful. (laughs) The last thing I am is beautiful. (laughs) What is beauty anyway? But the Mona Lisa has nothing on you. What is that, um, that perfume you're wearing? Not wearing any. I ain't washed in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Within five seconds, how would you describe Tim Curry's portrayal of one out of bracket picks? Um... <laughs> Uh, unwashed. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, not just in literal sense either. No, no, L- literal and figurative. There's, I mean, <laughs> if if you're a Patreon donor, if you pay that five bucks a month, actually, if you even pay that one buck a month and you got that slack, you know why I posted a picture of Tim Curry getting his makeup put on as why not a bracket for this particular episode. He is particularly chilling. So at this point, Winona Bracket, who has been, I guess, called to the throne again to decide whether or not she wants to marry some particular salesman that her particularly exacting family have taken hostage after selling them a defective item. She's decided to take Ed Begley Jr. to her bedroom and decide whether or not this man is worthy of of marriage. And believe it or not, there is a benefit to bracket family marriage, as we'll discover. But for now, she is you're about you're about to listen to David Bixenspan's reaction to Tim Curry in heavy prosthetic as a horrific hillbilly spinster creepster basically molests at Pegley Jr. So, uh, buckle up, Bix. Let's see how much you love me. I swear I love you. Isn't that good enough? She's holding up her underwear. You still love me? Oh my god. So, show me you love me. Can Ed Begley force himself to have a bone in front of this horrific woman? I just have to give you back to Powell and let him deal with you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah. I didn't think he... Wait. His face acting in this. Dude, there's two actors in this, and they both murder it. Well, I'll be damned. 
I think he do love me. <sighs> I mean, I guess I could pause this here, but no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you watch Tim Curry fuck at Beckley Jr. to fix. <laughs> Can you get some live reaction to this as it happens? Um, no. How do you feel about the deformities they put on Tim Curry's back here? What is as- that? <laughs> Again, in case you're missing this, this is this is Tim Curry in horrific uh, skin boily drag. Riding Ed Begley to orgasm. That was amazing. It's the most incredible sex I've ever had. Where did you learn to do that? All those salesmen. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so I mean, Bix, I assume in a line like that you can understand why I ended up being the way I am today when this was my favorite television show. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So, suffice to say, after Ed Begley is able to somehow achieve erection in front of a <laughs> absolutely hideous one on a bracket. I would have gone with two Messins, by the way. <laughs> I mean, he, I'm, yeah, he was able, he was able to achieve round two Messins. He was a tumescent man. He was fully engorged. Credit to him as a great salesman. So your boy's going to get married because you know why? The Brackett family, they got a dowry. And more than that, you might think, how could Pop Brackett just be wandering around here all day with all this money to buy a color TV and stuff a dead guy inside of and buy a new vacuum and impale a dead guy around it and buy a new microwave and put a dead dude's head inside of it? Pa's a preacher. Pa's making cash. Pa can have a wedding. We're about to have a little wedding in the house, Bix. I know, wait, I have a question, though. So, So are they saying she had... She had um, semi to non-consensual relations with the previous salesman while they were alive or while they were dead? I I believe the implication is that they offer all of these salesmen as particular potential husbands to Winona, and when none of them fail to achieve erection in absolute recoiling horror at Tim Curry in drag, wearing like smelling filthy and wearing a fucking like flannel night rag. I imagine that subsequent to all of them failing to achieve that erection, failing to achieve sexually, they're all roundly killed after that. But the the joke is that's how she learned to have a meeting. Well, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's like a praying mantis thing. Maybe she gets whatever she can out of them and then bites their head off after in the form of Pop Racket getting busy with the shotgun. Perhaps. Let's continue. So, so it's time to have a wedding. Enough of that. Lawful wedded wife. I do. And do you, Winona, take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? You bet I do, Pa. Let's have the ring, Ma. Tim Curry takes the ring off his own finger. If you 
We'll place this ring on Winona's... Wait a minute, Pa. Ain't you going to take these handcuffs off? <laughs> you think he's going to spend the rest of his life walking around with these things on? She's right, Pa. If he's willing to marry her, it's the least you can do. Wait for it. Well, I guess. <laughs> Wait. No. I ain't gonna. <laughs> as far as it goes. It's just the way it is, Winona. Still gonna have to shoot him. To be clear, he's he, he's so desperate to have his hideous daughter married off that he's willing to marry them, but he's unwilling to take Ed Begley Jr. out of his handcuffs that he put him in after he bashed him in the fucking face and broke his orbital bone with a baseball bat. Be dressed. Damn you, Pa! This is the first oh. chance of happiness I got. And you can't come and kill that. No! princess. No! What are you doing? What are you doing? What is that big one trying to grab? Oh, the key. Tim Curry is fighting all of himself. Tim Curry's pulling off judo shit on himself. That was a lovely... Uh... Ippon Sewanagi, but... <laughs> Went on a bracket. Let me get that for you, darling. Wait, how many different names are there for hip toss in judo? I mean, Ippon Sewanagi is arm drag over the top. Okay. Which is Which is what she appeared to hit her mother with there. <laughs> Anyway, continue. Let's go get that dolly. Let's. Let's get rich. Let's get rich. Uh Uh-oh, he's got the gun. Can't trust these hoes like Ed Bagley Jr. And he puts puts it in his sock, which is smart, actually. (laughs) So... We descend to the basement. We 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 dig up her dowry. Here's where it is. Great. Oh, by the way, I have a little wedding present for you, my love. Sorry, you kicking the gun out behind his back. Describe describe the way in which T- Tim Curry dies as went on a bracket. Maintaining uh, all that beautiful camp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show discussion from earlier. What are you asking me to describe? I'm not even sure. It's just like he dies with the perfect like it's. He reacts exactly how that character would. Not not just how that character would, how this comic book would, how this whole. This whole kind of schlock world that Tim Curry inhabits would. That's what I love so much about this. Everything about this triple role, it's it is the Tim Curry universe. Oh boy, I love the edge. <laughs> Digging up that dowry. Ed Bagley, having a dig. Ooh. 
He's got a box. Four feet down, too. You find something down there, young man? You know, Ma, the young man's right. This sure is a mighty nice cemetery plot. Great plot. But I... But... The view ain't much. But I think he'll rest in peace just the same. Winona, you gonna pay your respects or what? I sure hope I can get this fake blood out of my dress. Oh, just throw it in the new washing machine that other nice salesman brought us. <laughs> By the way, wedding dresses do not go in the washing machine, which I find extra charming. Which only adds to their kind of like country bumpkin sentimentality. So, Bix, as it stands now, what picture do we have? Paint it, paint it for our radio listeners. Uh, all three of them stand next to each other. All three of what? All three of who? All three of the Tim Currys. <laughs> Ma bracket, Pa bracket, one on a bracket, in her wedding dress with a blood stain in it, and Pa bracket cocking a shotgun. Over poor Judd Campbell, four feet deep, having dug up the cemetery plot agreement that he handed the brackets probably about 16 hours ago or so. And in classic, the thing I always love about Tales from the Crypt, I well, love— no, wait, 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 I have a question. So, so what's, the, what's the name? The name was someone else's name, though. Was that the fake name? No, but he was using— it, it's a, No, it's the name of Ed Begley, Judd Campbell. It's the name he gives them. Oh, okay. I thought you said something else. That's why I was confused for a second. Like every Tales from the Crypt story, everyone gets – like the thing that I love about Tales from the Crypt more than anything, at least the show. I mean even in the comic books though, it, it still holds true for most EC comics. People get their just desserts. For the most part, no one acts irrationally or – out of sync with society and doesn't meet some kind of precipitous and gruesome end. So any swindler going to meet this kind of horrific end, but all the more beautiful that we're able to bring it home with right from the top, right from the top of two scoops, a little bit of salesmanship. (laughs) You, You lied to me, all of you. Now, that ain't a nice thing to say. Besides, it no lie at all. No, sir. It's called... (laughs) (laughs) Salesmanship! Positively beautiful, and... Like all great Tales from the Crypt episodes, get to enjoy a little John Kassir at the end. I gotta say, wait, can I, uh, I gotta say, I did not see the actual ending coming. All the better. And, and, like, all the better because, like I said, because most of the Tales from the Crypt stories are 
very like, like kind of like simple morality tales adapted from 1950s comic books you can a lot of episodes you can kind of see it coming from a mile away i always feel like the best episodes the ones that resound with people the most are the ones that they're able to keep that kind of ethos the kind of idea that Every wicked person gets their just desserts, but are somehow able to put it in a way that you just don't quite see coming. Those are the best comic book stories, and those are the best episodes. And, oh baby, when we roll around Christmas, Bix, I mean... I've, I mean, as, <laughs> I mean, as a Jewish dude, I have, I have no idea what your, your, your Hanukkah celebrations are like, and what kind of things you watch, and what makes you feel good. But I know that when Christmas comes around, and I watch you watch, make you watch that Robert Zemeckis special, make you watch that episode number two, and all through the house, the, to my mind, and to most people's mind, definitive Tales from the Crypt episode. I'm excited because I feel like it has that exact same, frankly. All three Robert Zemeckis episodes of Tales from the Crypt actually have that same kind of dynamic. That's always when the show, I think, is at its best. When you still have that simple morality play, but somehow they're able to obscure it till the very end of 30 minutes. I mean, I could have seen something like that coming, but I did not see this specific ending coming with the fake death and all that. (laughs) Even as it's happening, I thought it was more some weird, scary immortality thing and not that they faked it. Don't need to get supernatural because that's like that's another thing that I actually really like about Tales from the Crypt is, you know, like, like I love the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits. Like I, I really do. I love both of them and, and the reiterations in the 80s and 90s respectively. But I I feel like Tales from the Crypt hit me always more because even when, you know, it involves like mummies or werewolves or, you know, some kind of like out of this world shit. The basic idea is always that someone cheated on their taxes or they cheated on their wives or they're ripping money off of someone or they're an unscrupulous individual and they have to meet their maker. There's something and, and, and there's something that I find so beautiful about it in that so many of these stories are clearly imported directly from the 1950s. And they do they do some zhuzhing up of them and they do some modernization of the stories out of the comic books in some cases. But ultimately, there are still these very basic morality plays. And I love that the punishment at the end of all these stories for these people who make moral transgressions is that they meet the most horrific and gory and gruesome and ironic endings you could possibly imagine. Karma. Let's take it home with the Crypt Keeper, voiced by John Kassir. Just another satisfied ghostomer. <laughs> I guess it's true what they say. The family that slays together stays together. <laughs> we come now to one of my favorite items. The amazing Crypt Keeper slash It's more than just a knife. It peels, it cuts, makes fabulous French fries. It slices, it dices it. Oh. <laughs> It cuts off the Crypt Keeper's fingers. One of the only uh, final interstitials where the Crypt Keeper doesn't end with an actual laugh. Bix, before we end for the episode, can I share my favorite uh, Crypt Keeper outro ever? And something By that, share, do you mean actually play now? 
No, 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 no. I, I mean, I like, I literally, like, I, I would have some ideas about what episode it would be, mm. but I mean, maybe it's something to look forward to in the future. Maybe I can dig up the actual episode and find out which one it is. I don't know which one it is offhand, but I can picture it in my head. I have a, I have a short list of episodes it could possibly be from, but there's, there's one particular Tales from the Crypt episode where the Crypt Keeper wraparound bumpers are that he's a photographer. And he's shooting a skeleton in a bikini. And the bumper at the end, after he's finished giving his synopsis of the episode, the Crypt Keeper asks his model to turn his head or her head a little away from him. And they go to a stop motion of like a science biology class skeleton wearing a classic 90s red and white polka dot bikini. And in a wig, tilting its head away from the Crypt Keeper. And he says a little more. And the head tilts a little more. And he says a little more. It tilts a little more. And the head breaks off of the skeleton's body and rolls towards the Crypt Keeper's feet. And the Crypt Keeper ends the show by saying, You gotta love a girl that gives you head and lets you keep it too. I hate you. I don't know your favorite. You're still my favorite. Anyone else you'd rather do a podcast with? Jill Hennessy. Excited about Sleepaway Camp? Very. If someone wanted to listen to it, tell them how they could do it, Bix. Uh, later this week, patreon.com slash two scoops, or just go to two scoops pod.com and click the little Patreon button. 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 Not button. Button on the side and on the bottom of the pages. And you thought I was an idiot because I couldn't say darkness earlier. Darkness? At Jordan Breen for me. What at David Vick. Hey, Dartmouth? Darkness? Darkness! Oh. I am from Dartmouth, though. Dark side forever. So what are we talking about? Twitters? At Jordan Breen for me. At David Bix for him. At Two Scoops Pod for both of us. TwoScoopsPod.com. The Amazon. The Patreon. TinyURL.com slash Two Scoops Amazon. Do all of it. Get all of us paid. And definitely get intrepid. Give us that five bucks. And you can hear us talk about old Angela. What's her last name? Baker? Is that what her name is? I think Baker's just the last name in the sequel, in the semi-canonical sequels. Angela and the, uh, more important than her name. Bix, you got the, do you, do you know what I need? You know what I need to go out? Can I hear that? No, I don't have it open anymore. Can you open it? <laughs> One second. I mean, I. Talk, talk. you do it well. I, I was going to, I was going to say it's worth, it's worth us going out on. It's. Like I said, for me, I've seen a lot of movies in my day. It's the most horrifying sound I've ever heard in any one of them. So if I was going to go on any sound going in some sleepaway camp telling you to donate $5 to me and David Bixen's band deep diving on one of the best, one of the most underrated slasher movies in one history. And probably the most underrated and one of the best slasher movies in history, something that definitely needs to pay, be paid proper patronage to in $5 a month form. Bix, can I hear that funky sound? Yep, I got it. Oh, wait, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> not that's not a funky sound. 
It's only a movie. It's not funny. You were scared, weren't you? I wasn't that scared. You were scared. Girl, but all the while You hear a creature creeping up behind